The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are working hard every single solitary week to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And this week, it's all about the inspiration. As devoted listeners know, uh, once a month, I've been doing interviews with what I call uh, X-Factor investors. That's folks who've achieved the very things that everybody sets out to achieve in uh, the real estate business. So, you know, high volumes of business, high uh, wealth, uh, you know, things that things that are everybody's dream. But really, I guess, as in any business... Uh, only a few people actually get there. And it's been interesting to do those interviews because what I have found is that many times as I'm talking to people about what is it that makes them the way they are, why were they able to do it when so many other people who started at the same time fell off the wagon, as it were, and never got to their pinnacles, they can't always answer the questions. I don't know if you guys have noticed that as you listen to the podcast, sometimes I'll ask a question like, so what what habits have made you so successful? And the person who ought to know what has made them so successful kind of kind of hesitates and says, well, I'm not really sure. I think it was maybe just stick-to-itiveness. So today we're going we're gonna to try a different tack here. And we're going to talk to someone who coaches the X-Factor investors and find out from an outside perspective what it is he thinks is makes the big difference between people who really, uh, to coin a phrase, kill it in the real estate business and those who do not. Uh, my guest today is Sean McCluskey. That's going to be a familiar name to many of you. He co-authored a book called Life and Air, and he is himself a short sale uh, investor, been in the business for many years. But in recent years, he has turned his focus toward uh, influencing the influencer, creating mastermind groups and coaching programs for people who are already at a high level. He is joining us from his home near St. Louis, Sean, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. I, w- I was hoping you'd say just a little bit more so that I could actually have this drink of water, but we'll just... <laughs> we'll... Hey, thank you, Fina, for having me today on this wonderful <laughs> radio show. No better. Too late. Uh, <laughs> so, so Sean, let me, let, me just, let me just put something out there to start with before we dive into to kind of your view on what makes 
people who are successful in real estate, successful in real estate. And that is a lot of the people that you, that you coach, honestly, they do a lot more real estate business than you do. Yes, they do. How, how, how does that work? Like, how can you? <laughs> <laughs> how, how in the world are you coaching people who are doing more than you? How do you yeah, I mean, some, some, of the, some of the folks that I've met that you're, you're involved in helping them, they're doing hundreds, not a hundred, hundreds of deals a year. And some of them have literally a million dollars a year, not, in, not that they're growing, but in actual after-tax cash income. And I'd be intimidated to be coaching people like that. <laughs> yeah, it was a little intimidating at first. There's, uh, as you know, one of the guys in our group is uh, he flipped 800 houses last year, which the most I've ever done in my career was a little north of 300. So, yeah, you. Uh, here's the thing, though. Everybody, I don't care how successful you are or uh, feel like you aren't yet. Everybody's got their own little mind games that get in their own head and they get messed up at times, and they need help getting unstuck. I don't care how good you are at what you do. Everybody gets stuck, and everybody gets in their own way. Everybody has their own fears. Everybody has their own concerns about what's going to happen when they hit the next level, and everybody needs help over that. And so I just happened to deal with a little higher caliber of challenge today than I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I have to assume that, you know, whoever coaches Tiger Woods is not as good a golfer. Right, right. (laughs) It's a good. great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like it seems like maybe maybe if he was as good a golfer, he would be playing golf instead of coaching Tiger Woods. Because I, I suspect there's probably more money in being out <laughs> on the golf circuit than there is in being Tiger Woods's coach. But um, it, it's a different skill set, right? I mean, you don't you don't have to know how to flip 800 houses to help somebody who is flipping 800 houses get over some angst about how they whatever. Yeah. Well, and no matter how much success you have, there's always this new pinnacle of challenge that you have to overcome. You know, before I started making any money, I didn't even have to have an accountant. You know, now, all of a sudden, you start getting a little excess, you need to have an accountant, and then, heaven forbid, anything happened to you, and then you have to learn how to deal with an attorney. And it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't, when I was not successful, I didn't have to deal with any of this stuff. But the first time you do anything, and sometimes the 15th time you do something, you get stuck. And so that's what I help people do is get unstuck, get out of their own way. And like, for example, I talked to a guy today. He is a very successful real estate developer. He's got a large business um, out in San Jose, California. He does a lot of stuff in San Francisco and builds these huge, you know, three, four, five million dollar houses and commercial properties and all this stuff. And his biggest challenge right now is he's stressed. He's working a lot of hours and he's finding himself getting angry a lot. And so we dealt with that on the call today. So everybody's got their own challenges. I don't care what level of success you have. There will always be periods of time where everything is going easy for you, and then there will be periods of time where you have challenges too. So I help people fix those challenges. Mm-hmm. And we should also just get out of the way before uh, you know people get confused as we, as we actually start talking about what you, what you see in common with these folks, that your definition of success or, or the, the kind of success that you push people towards is a little bit different than just how do I become the biggest and the best and the richest? Yeah. Yeah, The and that's the thing. Success can be defined differently for every single person that you talk to, but I encourage people to define success by more than just hitting the next big goal, by more than just hitting the next big number. And I do that because I, I if you would have asked me this 15 years ago, I would have, I would have said there's absolutely no way this is possible. However, Today, I've seen over and over and over again, um, example is uh, I had a guy come up to me, this is a few months ago, and he said, my, he said, I am totally depressed. 
I have absolutely no idea what life is about. And I said, tell me a little bit about your life. He said, I've been in real estate for going on 15, 16 years now. He said, I have somehow managed to hit my goal. My goal has always been to acquire $20 million worth of rental properties. He said, I hit my goal almost two years ago. And what's crazy is he only owes $7 million on $20 million worth of stuff. So his cash flow is really good. And he said, I realized about six months after I'd hit that goal that I'd hit it. And when I realized I hit it, I realized everything I had been working towards for the last 15 or so years I had hit, and now I have no clue what to do with myself. Hmm. So he went through this period of depression where the average listener hears this and goes, are you out of your mind? Why would you be depressed? You hit your goal. You're set. But he had so much of his life wrapped up in business that once he hit his goal, he's like, now what? And he had no clue what he wanted out of his life. So when I work with people, I encourage them to this is one of the first things we do. I say, define what success looks like. And we do that by creating a personal vision for what you want your personal life to look like so that we can build a business that's helped services. And very, very few people ever do this. I was never taught this when I got started. Um, but doing, building a business without having a vision in mind is a really dangerous thing to do because even if you do hit your goals, if you do hit your goals, which I hope you do, you wake up like that guy feeling like, okay, I, I did this, I sacrificed so much to get here, and now now what? what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which sounds crazy to most people, but it happens all the time. And and sometimes with, with real estate entrepreneurs, there's a little bit of pride. I mean, they complain about, you know, oh, I'm working 80 hours a week, and my stupid property manager this, and my tenant's that, and I'm just, you know, my dog doesn't even know who I am anymore when I call. But there's there's also sometimes a little bit of pride to that. Like, look how busy I am, thus I am super important. Yep. Yeah, it meets that need for significance. And then when you, the the challenge with having significance as a driving factor is that there's never enough significance. So if that's the main reason for you doing what you're doing, you're going to hit the next level and find out somebody else is more significant than you or you reach that and now that thing that you reached is no longer significant for you and you're bored uh, or a variety of other things. But significance alone is not a a driving of enough factor. It's enough to get you started, but it's not long-lasting. The vision, however, is long-lasting because that's you defining, here's what I want my life to look like, here's how I'm going to design a business that helps me serve it. And if you do it right, you can have the business also reach a huge aspect of your vision, which is what I do today. So people, some people who build big businesses that they don't have to work in in them anymore, they look at me and they go, why would you build a coaching and mastermind business that requires you, you have to be the coach. And I say, okay, I understand what's what's wrong with that. And they say, well, it's not scalable. I say, well, I understand, but here's the thing. I love what I do. You forgot to factor that into the equation. Mm -hmm. And so when I get up and I get to help a student through one of these messes that they're in, I love it. I get an immense amount of joy from it. And so to me, it doesn't necessarily matter that it's scalable. I love it. It's part of my vision. And and it also happens to be profitable. But I love it. And so that's what I encourage people to do in their business, too. But it starts with a vision. Very good. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to start digging in with Sean about what he sees these these folks who are 
they're doing they're doing stuff ladies and gentlemen that like no one is doing in the real estate business flipping 800 houses in a year rehabbing and reselling 150 200 300 houses in a year setting up a turnkey rental business that that nets for the owner a million dollars a year and it would be interesting to find out what they're doing that everybody else isn't doing. And Sean has a perspective on that that a lot of people do not have. So I'm going to give the phone numbers out if anybody has any questions about this. It is 877-772-9658. I know it's painfully slow, but people are complaining I'm giving the phone number out too fast. 877-772-9658. You can also send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's X-Factor Investor Week again, and this time we're talking to somebody who works with X-Factor investors, who is sort of like a success coach kind of person, and that is Sean McCluskey. Uh, we can be reached here in the studio at 877-772-9658, or alternatively, uh, you can send an email, askvina at gmail.com. Uh, so, Sean, when, when we first started talking about the show, and I said, I want you to talk about what these people have in common, what was the first thing that sprang to your mind? Like, what, 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 what did you go, oh, well, pfft, I mean, obviously, it's... <laughs> They have a big enough reason. I know that's ridiculously simple, but I want to give you an example of that real quick. I talked to a guy named Mike last week. Now, I was Mike was was wanting to start coaching with me. However, he was a bit challenged. He said he's he has been in corporate America for many years. He just got out of corporate America recently. He started his own business. He within six months got to the, got the business to the point where it's break even, and that required him to get to a hundred customers in his business to get to break even. He's at 100 customers now, and he's, he wanted to take on some other things, coaching being one of them. But he's like, I'm a little concerned about the expense because I'm just at break even. That seems like a step backwards. And I, I in no way ever try to sell one person one way or another. they got to either love it or not. But in his case, I said, look, man, you know, how many do you have to get to to make this work? And he said, well, I'd really like to be at 120 customers. And I said, okay, so you got to 100 in a month. But he's having, experiencing this thing called churn, where some customers sort of leave after a few months, and so he's starting to experience that now. Long story short is um, he had an event coming up in a month, which was a vacation, and, and he said, man, I want to do this so bad I'm thinking about cashing in my vacation and not going. And I said, man, that's, with all respect, that's a bad idea. <laughs> you know, ask a different question. How can you do both? If, if you want to do the coaching and you want to do your vacation, how do you do both of them? Uh, in other words, how do you get to 120 customers now in the next couple of weeks? And you, that means you need 20 new customers net. So if you, you might get 30, but you might lose 10. And so we had this conversation, and he said, man, I, I don't know if I could do it. I, I just don't, that just seems like a lot. And in the beginning, I got a lot of customers because I ran through all my friends and family lists, but that's kind of gone, and I don't know how to get 20 new customers. And I said, hold on, stop. <laughs> I said, let me ask you a question. This guy's got a wife and two kids at home. I said, if I told you that you have the next three weeks to get 20 new customers in your business or I'm going to take your family, could you do it? And he didn't even hesitate. I didn't even finish the sentence. He's like, of course I could. I said, well, that's interesting. Two seconds ago you were saying you didn't think you could do it. And I said, well, let me ask you this. What would you do? And he said, well, I don't even know that I know all the answers. And I go, well, then how can you answer so confidently? 
And he goes, because I would find a way. And I said, well, how can you say that with confidence? And he goes, because nobody's taking my family. Now, that's a simple example, but he had a big enough reason why he would go out and find the answer. And I think sometimes if, if we don't have a big enough reason why we're doing something, I know you guys have heard that a million times, but so many times people are looking for the big reason why, like somebody is going to take my family or whatever. And if there's not a big enough reason there, you need to create one. The biggest driving factor I see in all the people that I coach that are doing really well is they have a reason why they're doing that. They have a big cause behind it. And I'll tell you, it boils down to two things. They're trying to avoid something bad from happening, or they're trying to gain something good. And what usually works best is when it's a combination of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Still with me? I'm going yeah, I was on actually, on actually, I was going to ask you, did, did you... Did you normally find that like avoidance was the better why or that uh, reaching for something was the better why? That's a great question. It's different for everybody. I prefer, I know myself well enough to know that I work best if I have a little bit of both. Let me give an example of this. So years ago, I decided to pay off a bunch of debt. I had $1.1 million in debt and I was like, man, I got to pay all this stuff off. And so this brings me up to my second part of this lesson. Uh, the people that I coach tend to be very good at breaking big, complex things down into smaller things. So instead of focusing on paying off $1.1 million in debt, I had to focus on how can I pay off the first 50. And 50 doesn't seem like a lot when you're trying to deal with $1.1 million in, in debt. But to put it in terms everybody understands, if you've ever moved your home before and you've had to pack boxes, you don't pack boxes in the whole house right now. You start off with one room, and you get some stuff packed, and you feel like you're making some progress, and then you move on to the next room. And it needs to be the same thing when we're dealing with big projects. So when I'm looking at 1.1 million, I'm getting totally overwhelmed. But for me, when I'm looking at 50 grand, and those numbers might change for you, by the way. 50 grand might be your, you know, might as well be a million dollars to some of you. But when I looked at 50 grand, I thought, okay, I can do that in the next three to six months. I'm going to have to work at it but how am I going to do it? So I gave myself a reward and a consequence to pull this off. Number one, I had been wanting a motorcycle forever, and I didn't have one for many years. Uh, I'd had motorcycles when I was younger, and I loved them. But I couldn't justify buying a motorcycle unless I, the debt was paid off. And then I thought, well, I'm never going to get a motorcycle. It's going to take me forever to pay off $1.1 million. So I thought, okay, well, what if I give myself a target to hit? When I hit the target then I get to reward myself with the motorcycle. But I can't go into debt to get it, obviously. And I also need to have a negative consequence if I don't get it. So, you know, if I hit my goal of, let's say, paying off 50 grand in the next, I don't know, four months, let's just say, then I get to buy the motorcycle. And if I don't hit my goal in the next four months, not only do I not get a motorcycle, but, you know, you can get creative with this. You can have some fun with it. Not only do I have to do that, but then I have some kind of negative consequence, too, that has to be real, now, it doesn't have to be real in real life, but it has to be real to you. So we kind of do this fun stuff sometimes in our, in our coaching groups where we give each other challenges and then we let the rest of the group pick what the consequences are going to be just because it's, it's fun. But different people operate different ways. Some people won't do anything unless their back is up against a wall. Some people won't do anything at all unless they got some really pretty shiny object that they're really working towards. But I like both. So you don't think it's just that... You don't think it's just that they're like super special people who are just going to build a big business no matter where you drop them. You think they've 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 got this they've got some reason that is driving them. I think the reason is the number one thing. 
Um, what you just mentioned, I was planning on going over a little later in the call, but I think the reason also, the, the thing that you're doing has to be in alignment with what your skill set is, right? There's so many people that have a big enough why to be on America's Got Talent or, <laughs> you know, the next singing show or whatever it is, and they, they suck at singing. They're no good, right? So just because you have a strong enough why, I want to be a singer because I really, really want to impress my wife, that may not be enough. It's still got to align with what your skill set is to a certain degree. However, I've also seen things happen where people had a big enough why and also overcame some of the things that their skill set didn't necessarily uh, say that they should be able to pull off. I've seen them overcome that stuff, too. Um, if we have a quick second before the next commercial, I can share one more quick story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I coached a guy named Bob uh, a few years back, and this was right when Obama was getting ready to take his second term. And Bob called me up out of the blue one day, and he said, man, he goes, dude, you got to help me make a million bucks this year. <laughs> and he was, like, on fire about this. Now, I had been coaching Bob for a few months already, and I knew Bob had never made more than two hundred grand in a year. So I said, Bob, what, what's the sense of urgency? Where is this coming from? And he said, you don't understand, man. He goes, i got some friends in Washington and I got some insider information that Obama's going to raise the tax code next year on the wealthy, and anybody who makes more than two hundred fifty grand next year, he's going to tax them at ninety percent. <laughs> you know, and I hear this, and I'm thinking, really? You know, but it didn't matter what I believe, though. He believed it, and so he said, "I have to make a million in the next year." And so now, all of a sudden, now I'm not going to convince him that he's wrong. I've got, as a coach, I've got something I need, which is leverage. And I can now use that leverage to help motivate Bob when he's doing the same work that a $200,000 type business owner would make and not doing the million dollar a year stuff. So that's what I did. So the course of the next year, every time Bob was doing something that wasn't in alignment with what a seven-figure business owner would do, I would just remind him how much Obama was going to love that next year when he got to keep (laughs) 90% of Bob's money. And it made him so mad that he would go out and he did it. And Bob went out and made a million bucks his first year ever. And then but surprise. But reason why. Which sounds insane. <laughs> it wasn't even true. But to Bob, it was true. Wow. So he had a big enough reason why. And guess what? He did not do the same stuff that he did the year before making 200 grand. He had to seek new mentors. He had to get new advice. He had to go search and, and seek out and find a whole bunch of new things. But this time he had a big enough reason why. It wasn't just, I hope I make a million. It was, I have to make a million this year. Interesting. I, I, I don't know what to say about Bob, but um, <laughs> except except what a big surprise when he actually got to keep a lot of his million dollars. Um, so right. So uh, let, let let's let's uh, dig down into that a little bit because it's really interesting that you said that um, he he like literally was not physically doing the same activities in the million dollar year yeah. as he was in the two hundred thousand dollar year. Yep. So for for a real estate entrepreneur, like what does that translate to? What is what is what is the guy who flipped eight hundred houses last year? What is he doing with his day? That the guy who the guy who can barely manage to flip one is not doing. Yeah, this is going to sound insanely simple, but I've also found that the most successful entrepreneurs are master copycats. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that they're all so brilliant, although some of them are really brilliant. But, I mean, Vina, you know some of the people in our group. It's like um, they don't reinvent everything. They just go find somebody else that's doing something similar to what they want to do, and they don't copy it word for word. They don't make it the exact same thing. 
But they take the framework of what's already been done, and they copy as much of it as they can without duplicating it, and they put their own little twist on it, and then they get very similar results. It's crazy. It's like, you know, they go out and they seek somebody who's done it, or they seek some kind of mentor that can help them through it, or they do a combination of that. They might get some extra training. They might go, I mean, here, when I had to pay off debt, I didn't know how to run a business without debt. I had no clue. I'd never done that before. So I had to go seek out people that had run businesses without incurring additional debt and find out, how did you do this? If I want to flip a house and I don't have a hundred grand to buy the house and another 50 for the rehab, how do I do it? I don't have any clue how to do that. Mm-hmm. And they gave me ideas. And next thing you know, I would try some of those and guess what? They worked, but mm-hmm. I didn't invent all that stuff. I'm, I'm not smart enough to do that. I just found other people and I copied what they were doing. That's, that's what a lot of successful people tend to do too. They copy what they can and they infuse their own little flavor into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to answer listener questions about what Sean McCluskey, who coaches people who are, you know, six, six figures is the low end of what his <laughs> what his uh, students are making, um, and he does it. He's he's more of like a get your head on straight coach than a real estate coach, but he's seeing things that are in common. Uh, amongst these folks. So if you have any questions about that or how you could become one of those seven-figure earners, you can give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Sean McCluskey, and we're talking about uh, from a third-party point of view, <laughs> what these folks who've been on the show here now, it's been going on since November, we've been doing these X-Factor Investor uh, shows, and we uh, I asked those guys what they think has been successful for them, and sometimes they can answer and sometimes they can't. <laughs> and uh, today we're talking to somebody who has a, a little bit different view because uh, he works with them as as opposed to in their businesses. And uh, Sean, do you have any insight as to why some of these people just do not know? Like, like, like I, yeah, so, so uh, what is it? What it? What it? What is the main philosophy that's helped you become successful? Well, I guess <laughs> um, it's probably been treat people right. Like, it, it, they, so, sometimes they don't. They don't seem to have a lot of insight. Well, some people sometimes people need help figuring out what their own why even has been. They don't they don't have a clue why they've done it, and it, sometimes it stems all the way back to everybody has two huge fears. I learned this years ago. Everybody has two fears in life. The first one is that I'm not enough, and the second one is that I won't be loved. Some people, quite frankly, have been successful because somebody told them when they were a kid that either they weren't enough, and now they're trying to prove them wrong. Or somewhere along the lines, they felt like they weren't enough, and they're trying to prove that they are enough. And so sometimes that's it, and they don't even know that that's it. Um, that can be a driving factor, too. But, but you can replace that with uh, something that you manufacture on your own rather than just letting your childhood or something that your dad told you when you were little uh, determine whether or not you're going to be successful. But, yeah, a lot of people don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question here from Brianna in Atlanta. She says, I'm curious about... 
Uh, I'm curious about whether Sean has one most important habit that he has to break in people to get them up to the next level. For instance, working in their business instead of working on their business or something similar to that. So she's talking about like you're already successful and you're really trying to take it to the next level because, you know, at some point you just can't get any bigger, continue to do things the way you currently are. And yeah. and it and it and it is a it is a mind shift often. To, it often involves giving up some things, giving up some control, <laughs> giving up some things uh-huh. that you're doing. Um, is there? She wants to know if there's uh, any any habits that I guess any habits that entrepreneurs have that business owners have to break. Yes, I'll, I'm going to answer that question one way um, uh, because I'm dealing with some pretty high caliber people. But I want to give an example. Didn't you have Larry Goins on your show recently? Yes, I did. <laughs> So Larry is just such a brilliant guy, and I love Larry to death. Um, one thing that Larry kind of struggles with that, that most successful people struggle with is having downtime. And they tend to think, what a waste of time for me to just chill out and watch some TV, or in, in Larry's case, to ride his Harley Davidson. And, uh, you know, he, he loves life. He wants to do all those things. He's a really fun guy. But sometimes, as really successful people start to believe that if they're not being productive every second of the day, that it's a waste of time. I happen to have a motorcycle as well. I love my Harley, and I ride it. And guess what? That freedom that I feel when I'm out there, it sparks my brain into new creativity mode, where I'm not intentionally working when I'm out there. But I will say that some of my best ideas come as a result of relaxing. And that is totally contrary to what successful people tend to to believe but when you give yourself a break i coach so many people that for years worked seven days a week there's a reason that even the bible says take one day a week where you do nothing like in that book it says don't even prepare your own meals that day it has to be done in advance we need rest in order to get our brains to work properly and from a from a higher level position that's one of the biggest problems that those people have now some people may be listening and go well that's not my problem (laughs) (laughs) i got no problem i need to figure out what it takes to get me uh, motivated to get off my butt, and that's a little little different situation. But for, for these people, uh, most of them have a hard time just relaxing. And it's easy to forget that there is a benefit to those things. It's like you would never look at somebody else and say that they're being selfish for taking an hour each day and going to the gym, but yet so many of us feel selfish, like, well, that's not time I'm spending with my kids or I'm not building my business at that time. It's not selfish. It helps fuel every single thing else when you come back from refreshed from the gym or from a motorcycle ride or a walk or whatever it happens to be. It is not wasted time at all. It's necessary. That is not what I thought you were going to say. Really? But it is a good one. Because <laughs> because so, <laughs> have you ever noticed that um, at that level where, where – uh, they're they're still being entrepreneurial and their business is sort of maxed out. You know, it's them and their spouse. Maybe they yep. got their kids involved. Maybe they got a couple of helpers. You know, they've got a, a a crew chief or something like that. But they really haven't created a business structure. They are still yeah. very involved in every deal. Not only are they working eighty hours a week, they feel like they're undisciplined and bad time managers. Yeah, they they feel like they feel like they should be able to get more done if they weren't so lazy as to want to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> yeah how dare them <laughs> so, well, you know but it's all all of that plays together it's like 
if you if you as an entrepreneur were willing to give yourself that time and not work 80 hours a week, then you would have to figure out how am I going to get out of the way here and get somebody else to do some of these tasks. It for taking some of this time off, people think it's not productive. It is completely productive. If I told you this week you have to get everything done, the most important stuff on your to-do list, or your business is going to fail, and I'm only going to give you three days to do it. You've experienced this before when you go on a vacation. You don't want to work the whole time you're on vacation, so what do you do? You get the most important stuff done the first three days of the week so that you can spend the rest. I mean, here we're coming up on a holiday weekend. People are busting their butts this week, and they're probably, so that they can enjoy the weekend, they're probably more productive this week, and they're probably not getting everything done on their to-do list, but they're probably getting the most important stuff done. And the, the other stuff sort of gets pushed to the wayside, and that's okay. They're getting the most important stuff done, and then they're going to take some time off and, and hopefully come back, recharge, and refresh afterwards. But it forces you. Taking time off forces you to think differently. And most people think that's not productive. That couldn't be further from the truth. And most people don't start their real estate business thinking, I want to work 80 hours a week and try and figure out how to work 90. That, that right. that's, not, that's not the point at the beginning, it somehow becomes the point <laughs> after right. after a while, and I and I think it does go back to the significance thing because um, you get a lot of petting for working eighty hours a week in the real estate world. Sure, especially if that's how your parents raised you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. all and, and all your all your um, all your colleagues are are just they, they're thinking, man. They're not just thinking, they're saying, oh, I wish I had your business. I don't know how you do it all. I, uh, uh, I, wish, I, I wish I could find a way to work as hard as you. And, you know, all that, all that petting feels good. But wasn't the point of making all the money to have the time to do the stuff that you love, not the time to do more of your business? <laughs> right. I remember one time in one of our mastermind sessions, one of the guys uh, was rebuilding a business that he had a mortgage business that he was making he was making millions per month and when the mortgage meltdown happened in oh nine I believe or oh eight he he lost everything over the course of two years um you've you've had this guy speak for you before Jason Roberts yep and one of the people so he was rebuilding his business and he was already back up to he had he had uh, started a short sale business I started coaching him a little bit and he had done more than a million dollars net his first year in business however that first year back in real estate he was already starting to get right back on the same schedule where he's working 60, 70 hours a week again. And I remember he came to a retreat one time, and somebody, one of, the, one of the members of our mastermind said, hey, man, that doesn't impress me. You know, he was throwing out his numbers, and they said, it's great you're making a million bucks. You're doing the same thing you did before. You want to impress me? Make that same million and do it in 25 hours a week and have a life. Mm-hmm. And he said that comment, it stung when they said it, which obviously meant it was true. But he said that comment changed his whole life because he's like, they're right. If I want to do this, anybody can build a successful business working 78 hours a week. You want to, you want to do something unique and significant, do it in 25 or 30 and have a life afterwards. And I know that Jason, Jason will actually be on the show a little bit later in the year because he's, uh, he and his partner Rachel are coming here to uh, talk about their marketing uh, business. And I know that uh, his current policy is not only is he not allowed to work more than 25 hours a week, neither is Rachel and neither is their administrator. That's right. None of them yeah. are allowed to work more than 25 hours a week. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. He's, he's not just doing it off the backs of everybody else. And there's, there's data and research that has shown why that's really important. 
if you think you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and you're productive all of those hours, I got news for you. You ain't. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, all of the data shows that anybody who works 40 hours a week or more is really only productive roughly 25 to 30 at most. That's for the super productive people. So it doesn't make any sense to sit here and have a goal to work 50 hours a week so you can outwork everybody else. If you worked 30 solid focused hours in a week it is amazing what you can get done and you guys have seen this because you've had days like that before Mm -hmm. you may not have been able to sustain it but you can sustain it when you're doing it 25 hours a week it's crazy how much you can get done in less time Uh uh-huh uh-huh very true so um yeah one thing to uh look at i think for many people is uh, sometimes it's it's a matter of asking the right questions right and jason got asked the right question which is how can you do the same thing but work a third as much? That's right. Yep. And if anybody who's listening, who's the hair on the back of your neck is standing up right now because you're like, oh, my God, I can't. If I didn't work 70 hours a week, my business would fall apart. <laughs> um, twice the reason to ask that question. Just just, just be curious, right? Like, how- Well, and the reason to ask the question, if, if the hair on the back of your neck is standing up, it's because you have no clue what you would do with all that extra time. What, what am I going to do, just sit around and watch TV all day? I, I'm not that kind of person. No, this is why having the vision for your life is so important, because right now, like Jason didn't know what he would do with all that extra time. He had been working that schedule for so many years. He thought that that's what he wanted, but he was so used to that schedule he didn't know what he was missing. And so now when you look at him today, he does a lot of things outside of it. Now, he loves his work. He absolutely loves what he does. He feels blessed that he gets to do it. But he also loves, he goes to the gym every day at 2 o'clock. <laughs> you know, none of his friends can even meet him because they're like, that's right in the middle of the day. He's like, by 2, I'm done every day. You know, uh-huh. uh, he gets to travel. He gets to go have fun. He just does all the other things on his vision. But he also does that and builds a successful business at the same time. And that started with him having a vision to do so. So as corny as that sounds, pe- people don't like to hear that because that's not the sexy answer. People want to hear, well, the recipe to make a million this year is to do X, Y, and Z. But that's only part of the truth. You do need to do strategy, but you also need to have a big enough reason why first. And when you have that, you will find strategy. Mike? The guy that I explained earlier, he's not going to lose his kids over the fact that he didn't get 20 new customers this month. So he will get 20 new customers, but he had a big enough reason why. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Sean McCluskey about what high performers in the real estate investing business have in common. We're taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, and I am always as I as am always your host, Vina Jones Cox. Uh, my guest today is Sean McCluskey, and we're talking about the high performers in the real estate business and what they have in common. Uh, I just got an email from Peter in Toledo who is asking about how to hear the interviews with the uh, high performers, and the answer is you go to realliferealestate.com realliferealestate.com there is an archive there of like I don't know 200 shows or something like that and each one that that is one of these interviews that we're talking about is called X Factor and then has um, somebody's name behind it Uh, also if you want to be notified when they're coming up you'll notice there's a little box on the left hand side there that says want more goddess 
And if you put your name <laughs> and your email and your zip code in there, we will send you a weekly email. It's uh, it's the Goddesses Fast Five. It's uh, good books to read, uh, stuff that's coming up on the radio show, things that are going on out in the world. Uh, like the implementation of the Toledo lead law that is taking place on June the 1st and that we all ought to be paying very careful attention to because it's coming to us next. So go to realliferealestate.com, fill out the little want more goddess box and we'll send you that email every week so that you don't ever have to miss another show. Uh, Okay, so uh, I have a question here for you, Sean, uh, from Casey in Bellbrook, Ohio. And this is a little bit of a loaded question, I know. But but she says, uh, ask him how entrepreneurs should, should decide who is qualified to coach them and how to evaluate the coaches. I know there are a lot of, quote, coaching programs out there that are very, very expensive. I haven't met many people who are very happy with those. I'm curious about how we should go through the evaluation process. Oh, man, that's a great question. Yeah, it's kind of tough to figure out because there's some watered-down stuff out there, and then there are, I don't care what industry it is, there's good and bad of everything. And so that's a great question. Uh, First thing I would do if I were you is I would try to interview other people that have gone through it, if you can, and try to get some opinions of people who have actually experienced it, not not just uh, maybe people that are at the front of the room touting it, but I would try to, if it were me and I was asking, I would try to get a list of a few people that have gone through the program and find out exactly what they got out of it, where they were before they started it, and where they are today, and and start there. I mean, to me, hearing real-life examples of other people is great. I would also interview the coach extensively. I mean, I do the same thing even with students now. I don't want to take somebody on who is not going to go out and execute what we talk about because not only does it look bad on me as a coach, <laughs> but I don't enjoy working with them. And so I interview the heck out of the people that I'm going to spend my time with because I don't want to waste my time with somebody who's not going to perform. Um, you know, Vina, you do this. I, I was going to ask a question to you a little bit earlier, and then maybe we'll come back to this. But you've got students that do really well and – I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing you have some students that don't do everything you've told them to do and aren't <laughs> I've, doing well. I've got students who pay me money and then won't return my phone calls when I call them up to find out how they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> to me. But what, I mean, here it is, you've, you've laid out, you've got one of the best laid out set of instructions, I think, especially for people getting started. I think you have probably the best, if not one of the best programs out there to get started. Why do you think one person does really well with it and then the other person does not? I think it often comes down to just what you said, which is uh, what's their why, and mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd like to be able to you'd like to be able to make it be something more tangible, like you could test people for it and say, well, you don't have it, you don't pass, um, because that would just be easier. Uh, but the the getting started in the real estate business is hard work. I suspect getting started learning to play the ukulele is hard work and quilting is probably hard work and learning to ice skate is probably hard work. And there has to be something behind it that's going to make you come home from work and do two more hours of work for a year so that you can quit the job and just do the two hours worth of work every day, right? 
Yeah. And um, honestly, I think that, that I've, I've, I've actually talked and written about this. There seem to be two in the, in the starting, people starting out business, which is that's not what you really do. You do people who are already in the business. But it seems to be a barbell where if people are too financially desperate, they have a heart. They get like super risk averse. Mm. They, they get to where they, they can't. They've got nothing to lose. Right. They're like three steps from bankruptcy already. And you can't get them to go make an offer that's got nine contingencies in it so that they can't possibly lose any money because they, they just can't get their brains in that place. Hmm. And on the other side of the barbell, there are people that honestly are too comfortable. They don't they don't they don't like their job. They like to quit their job. Yeah. But they make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and have a gold plated health care plan and matching four oh one K and even though their boss is a jerk, yep. they don't hate it enough to do the work. I totally relate to that. When I had my last job in corporate America, it was 2003. And I, I worked at this company for seven years, and I really loved it for about five of those years. And the last two years, I started to hate it more and more and more and more. It just got really corporate-driven. It was, there was, uh, everything was outside of my control. I couldn't try anything new and so on. But I didn't hate it enough. It, it was like that frog that gets in the water you know, if it's boiling already, then the frog jumps out. But if it's if it's not, the frog just boils to death, that old saying. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true, it it takes place in that kind of world. So the, it got worse and worse a little bit every day, but it didn't happen overnight. And so I said for a year and a half that I wanted to get into investing, and I never did. And it wasn't until finally uh, corporate America came in and they said, hey, guess what, guys? Uh, you're off. Everybody needs to go home. We're shutting the doors that I said, okay, I'm not going to go through this again. And I finally had my why. Now, that was a why. My, my why, by the way, was I am never going back to that environment again ever. And I, for the first time ever, I made my business work. Before, I never did any, any work to it at all. Um, but that why was given to me uh, to some degree because I lost my job. You, if you don't have something like that, you need to manufacture it. And you can manufacture it by something that you really, really want or something that if you don't perform or if you don't do what you said you want to do, something that you don't want to happen is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to Casey, to answer your question, Casey, in a little bit more detail, I love what Vina just said. I, I mentioned interviewing people before, but I would find out from your coach, what is their why? Is it solely just because they're trying to make money and this is a side gig for them? Uh, if that's the case, then you might consider a different coach. If it's somebody who truly has passion for it and they have a heart to, to help other people, then you're probably in a little bit better situation. Mix that with some real-life examples of people who have done well with it, you're probably in a pretty good place. And also, let me say, if your coach doesn't interview you, that's a bad sign. That's right. If, if the qualification is, do you have enough money, bad sign. <laughs> and right. and if, the, right. if the coach doesn't have people to refer you to, for testimonials or won't give them to you or pressures you like, well, you, we, we don't have time for that. You've got to sign up right now because we only have one spot left. Yeah. Bad sign. And there's nothing wrong with a coach making money. I have paid coaches a lot of money over the years, uh, a lot more than six figures. And some of them were bad. Some of them were fantastic. And I had some in between, but um, man, I am a huge advocate of when you want to get somewhere fast, pay somebody to help you. It's no different than getting a trainer at the gym. You want to get some massive results, go find somebody who has already got them or knows how to help you get them and pay them to help you. Mm-hmm. 
Very true. And unfortunately, Sean, we are out of time. I would love to extend this conversation for another hour because uh, I just think it's fascinating what, you know, what, how, how people who get really good results get really good results. But uh, sadly, uh, they throw me off the air at six o'clock. So appreciate, appreciate you sharing your, uh, your uh, experience with us today. And uh, uh, um, glad to, glad to have had you on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Vina. You're very welcome. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.